Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Stacy and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is presented by Stats Coach. Stats Coach is a hockey analytics company which works with the minor and junior hockey community. For more information, visit www.statscoach.ca or contact statscoach at outlook.com. Today we're joined by Ryan Hardy, the general manager of the Chicago Steel. While I never knew Ryan before the podcast, like many, I was a follower of his due to his candid approach for expressing his thoughts and ideas in the public sphere. Further pushing the norm of how many managers conduct themselves, Ryan continued to share his knowledge through outlets such as the Chicago Steel Fan Connection Series and his own personal webinar. When taking everything into consideration, he stood out to me as one of the best podcast candidates out there, and I was lucky enough to have him quickly accept my offer, leading to the episode today. With that, I'm extremely happy to present Ryan Hardy the general manager of the Chicago Steel. Today we're joined by Ryan Hardy, the general manager of the Chicago Steel. Ryan, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Oh, Ryan, thank you for having me. It's great to uh, have you on. And uh, like I've said before, uh, being the first person from the United States Hockey League, I think it's uh, an interesting perspective to have on the podcast, and I'm sure others will feel the same. Uh, tell people maybe where you grew up and talk to your involvement in sports during your youth. Yeah, no, I grew up in uh, Madison, Connecticut. It's a little town, I don't know, about 20 miles east of New Haven towards Rhode Island. Uh, so I lived there till I was 12 or 13. And then we moved uh, two towns over to Branford. Um, you know, I grew up kind of like any other kid, I, I'd imagine. Uh, hockey was probably my main passion, but I played baseball. Um, and then I played lacrosse in high school, um, you know, kind of played every sport I could. I was really a small, underdeveloped kid, so they wouldn't let me play football. I wasn't, didn't weigh enough, but, uh, you know, I, whether it was in the yard or whatever, you know, any sport that I could play, basketball, um, I just just love sports. So it was something that I did. And then uh, hockey, certainly of all of them, was probably uh, my greatest passion. So uh, it makes sense, I guess, that that's what I ended up doing as a career. Yeah, definitely. And, and people always touch to, uh, you know, those who can get involved in hockey or whatever sport it is. It's usually uh, during your youth that you kind of gravitate towards that sport and really, you know, uh, get the feel for the game. And that's something you want to pursue. Uh, so in 2007, you went to Sacred Heart to enroll in the sport management program. Uh, talk about your experience at that school and how the program prepared you to work in sport moving forward. Yeah, no, uh, my time at, at Sacred Heart was awesome. I, uh, I started actually, I went to community college. So going through high school, um, when I was, I don't know, 12, 13, uh, the, uh, I guess, situation with my family, uh, you know, really changed and uh, created some challenges for me. So 
those teenage years, I probably uh, made some mistakes and, and definitely with my hockey, you know, um, just uh, didn't have the passion uh, for it and didn't do the things that I probably should have done to be more successful as a player. Um, so, uh, and I did very poorly academically. So I ended up having to go uh, to community college for a year and a half. Um, and then I transferred to Sacred Heart. I did three years at Sacred Heart. Um, I loved it. I, I didn't start as a sport management major. I didn't go to Sacred Heart planning to be a hockey coach, which is how I started or, or eventually, you know, get into management like I did. I, I, uh, my first major, I think, was uh, criminal justice. Uh, and then I was political science major. And then as I got close, maybe like three semesters left to graduating. By that point, I had decided that I was going to pursue a career in hockey. And uh, so I switched to sport management. Uh, some, I thought it would be beneficial, uh, you know, in this field, but others, I thought it was the easiest way to get a degree. So I, uh, you know, just saw that as a path to the finish line. And um, it was really uh, an enjoyable program. I, I learned a lot. Uh, you know, it's not very hockey centric, um, but it's, uh, you know, I learned a lot about uh, different sports and, and a lot on the business side too, you know, it's not, you know, I think sometimes people get into these programs and they think, oh, it's how to run a professional sports team. It's not at all, right? It's all encompassing to a lot of different areas. Uh, but no, I, I loved uh, my experience at Sacred Heart. Um, I was able to get involved with the team there as an undergrad um, and gain some experience. So um, no, it was a, a tremendous time in my life and um, uh, a place that I'm really happy that I went. Yeah, it sounds like you had a great experience and then, uh, obviously, you know, uh, other people are in similar programs. Like you said, it's not always about, you know, this is how you run an NHL team or a junior team. You know, there's, there's a lot of different parts you have to learn about, whether it's the business side or grassroots sports. And, and sometimes it's good to have all those different perspectives when you do eventually get into a, uh, you know, a more uh, what we would call the position that you want, you know, like, like sure. a junior position or a professional position. Uh, so we'll talk about coaching a little bit. You had a stop with Williams College. Uh, how was that experience and uh, how much of a learning curve was it uh, jumping in there? Yeah, so I guess Williams was like my first uh, real hockey job. I guess it was the first time I got paid. I started how I started coaching uh, was I was 18 years old and local youth hockey program just needed a coach to coach Bantam B. And I was like, all right, well, I love hockey. I'll go try to coach these kids. Never had any designs on uh, doing it as a career. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, and, uh, and then that's from there. Uh, one of the fathers actually was like, hey, you should consider doing this as a job. And I'd never considered that. Uh, so I ended up, that's how I got connected. Eventually I reached out to the coach at Sacred Heart and he started giving me, uh, you know, little odds and ends to do. Um, and then, um, at that time, Dan Muse, who now coaches Nashville Predators, he was assistant coach at Sacred Heart when I was like a student intern or whatever you want to call it. And uh, he had previously coached at Williams College. So when I was graduating, he uh, had reached out to the head coach there and said, hey, I got this guy. You know, he I think he would do a good job. And uh, so I went up on an interview and, and got that job. And the year at Williams College um, really, as I look back on, it's one of my favorite years that I've had in this entire process. Like um, in division three, uh, it was head coach and one assistant. I think I was making $6,500 in a meal plan or something. And um, with just two guys, there's a lot of work to be done. So it was, um, I got to do some, like I was doing equipment stuff, uh, all kinds of things, you know, even beyond hockey. And I got to do uh, skill development stuff in the morning in the games I was running the D and 
Um, it was kind of all hands on deck. And Bill Kangas, um, you know, he'd been at it a long time there at Williams. So he'd had a lot of assistance come through. And he, I, I think, I've never really asked him this, but I, I think he saw his role in a lot of ways with the assistance as a mentorship, um, you know, environment where if you wanted to work, he'd give you as much as, as you wanted. And if you didn't want to work, he would make sure that he would get the work done. Um, so it was a really good environment for me. Um, I gained a lot of confidence there uh, in my abilities, uh, just working with those guys and, and certainly having not played, um, uh, you know, it's always a little scary right at the beginning um, when you're, hey, I didn't play. These guys are, are a higher level than I was. Uh, are they going to respect me? Are they going to listen to what I have to say? Um, you know, so it's scary. Um, and I went through that. We had a great team. Uh, at one point, I think we were third in the country in Division Three, And uh, we actually lost in our league final, NESCAC final, to Bowdoin. Um, and it was just, uh, I loved it. It was, I lived, uh, I don't know, maybe a mile from the rink. Some nights I slept in the rink. I lived in a, in a house with like, there's five other guys. We're all paying $200 a month rent. They were different coaches in different sports. And uh, it was just hockey and, and learning and, and growing all the time. And uh, Williams College was a remarkable place. I think um, academically at that time, Forbes magazine had ranked it the best college in the world. I don't know if that still is, but um, it was just the, the caliber of student, the caliber of student athlete. Uh, it was extraordinary. And I learned so much as a hockey coach. I learned so much as a person and, and I had such a good time. Um, and that gave me the confidence to, to, uh, you know, springboard eventually to, to what I'm doing now. And it's been, uh, been a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Others talked in the past about, uh, you know, these entry level positions where, you know, like you said, it's only two staff and, and you know, you, you get these opportunities to do everything, whether it be, uh, you know, equipment or helping out with coaching or team services, or so many different things. And, uh, you know, it's always uh, great to have those experiences and, and look back on them and know that you learned so much. So it's great that you had that opportunity. Um, after that, you also had a stint as a head coach and GM with the Springfield Junior Blues. Uh, how did that opportunity come about? And how was your first experience in more of a management role? Oh, in a lot of ways, it was a disaster. Uh, but it was, I, I only coached, I think, five or six games there. Um, but I learned more in those five or six games and in that process than I ever have at any stop since and ever, ever before. It was uh, how it came about was the guy, uh, Springfield has a new ownership now for maybe close to the last decade. But before then, it uh, was run by a board of directors and um, they would just get donations here and there. And that's how, how they were running the program. And uh, one of the guys on the board, he's actually the president, he came to Williams on a visit. Uh, and I just, by pure happenstance, uh, ended up running into him and we were talking and uh, he wanted my card. And then when the job in Springfield came open, uh, he offered me the job. I went through an interview process and they hired me. Um, if I look back on that, it was, uh, it was an interesting thing. Like I went, we didn't have a lot of resources. So that was a good lesson to learn of if you're going to be successful somewhere, you need resources. And I, I, I made a lot of mistakes too. Like I was, I probably thought I knew more than I did uh, at that stop. And I had a lot of ideas, uh, but nothing actionable uh, that my ideas were, were going to work. Um, so it's interesting. We did a lot of things there in Springfield that we do in Chicago now uh, with like morning skill ice and individual skill development as part of a larger development model. So in a lot of ways, the concepts of what we're doing were, ahead of their time um 
but there was a lot of other things. I didn't know the player pool. I, I really just didn't know what I didn't know. And, and the politics of um, within the organization and uh, in that situation, um, it was overwhelming at times and I didn't know who I could trust and, and who I couldn't. And, uh, you know, as you start to reflect back on these things and you hit on words like resources and trust and support and uh, making sure that the staff that you're working with uh, you know, is in line with your vision and supporting what you're doing. And when I, I figured out I was in trouble there was uh, we had a player, Mike Williams uh, was his name, from down in Texas. And uh, he came into my office one day and he was like, hey, uh, I heard you're getting fired. I was like, oh, really? He was like, I hope it's not true. He's like, I really um, have enjoyed uh, having you as a coach, I, the structure that is in place in the day. I think before, you know, it was kind of old school junior hockey where they just came to practice and didn't do anything else, you know, and we had a strength program and we had a skill ice in the morning and we had study hall and we had, you know, it was a similar to what we're doing in Chicago. And I think uh, for some of the players, they didn't like it. You know, they wanted it to be a bit of a party and then the hockey second and he, you know, came to me and he said, I, I've, this has really helped me. I need this structure to be successful. And I've never talked to Mike Williams since, but I really appreciated uh, what he did and he came. So I went down and met with the president and he said, yeah, you know, this and this and this. And I was like, all right, well, uh, like, I'll just quit, you know. So I ended up resigning. Um, 25 years old, no job. Went back uh, from there, went back to Sacred Heart. But like I said, I uh, had a lot of areas, like I think every other place I've been besides there, uh, we went to the finals at least or one championship or something. And that one was an unmitigated disaster. Um, but I, I learned a lot in the process. And I think for people that are watching this, uh, there's going to be failures, you know, in this process. Uh, uh, and I thought about that even going back to when I was a student at Sacred Heart, I used to be so consumed with what people thought about me or what the perception was, you know, you're a young guy, 19, 20, 21 years old, and, you know, trying to feel things out. And, um, um, and afraid to fail, you know, and, and I went to Springfield and failed miserably and was able to uh, go back home and lick my wounds and self-assess and um, some of the mistakes that I made there, I'll never make again. Uh, it's, it's a great opportunity to learn, uh, you know, just having that uh, position where you can really try new things. And obviously it didn't go the way you wanted, but, uh, you know, looking back now, it probably helped you in the long run and and you're able to evaluate your work in, in a different limelight and, and really uh, use it to your benefit moving forward. So we touched on Secret Heart a little bit and as you went back there, um, just after that, uh, you had a role with Angel Central Scouting uh, as a scout there in the US. Uh, how did you find yourself in that position and what was it like working with the NHL? Yeah, so when I, I went back to Sacred Heart uh, after the Springfield thing as a volunteer um, and then a, a really a great mentor of mine, Dave Gregory, who's the senior manager of Central Scouting. Uh, he actually lived in the same town that I did, so I knew him from when I was, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 years old. He, uh, you know, said, hey, we got this, you know, uh, volunteer low stipend position in New England. Uh, would you be interested in doing this? And I obviously had nothing, so I was to get for sure this would, this would be great. So that was really my first foray into scouting, um, getting that experience. Uh, so I did that for a year. I was coaching high school hockey, uh, at the same time, uh, or no, excuse me, the year after I started coaching high school hockey, uh, I was going through that. I was coaching, I think, three youth teams uh, running uh, skills clinics on Sundays. So I, you know, was just trying to 
you know, do anything I could to, to make a, make a buck and also, uh, you know, try to grow in the business. So it was, uh, it was an interesting, delicate balance at that time where uh, I was coaching a squirt team, a Bantam team within that kind of two year window, a squirt team, a Bantam team, a high school team, um, doing the central scouting, running my own kind of skills company. Um, and again, you know, similar to the Springfield thing, it was just in the Williams thing. It was just getting experience in so many different areas. And I, you know, reflect now, uh, back on that where, uh, you know, I'm not as good of a coach as the guys that we have coaching, or I'm not as good in player development as the guys that we have in player development in Chicago. Uh, but I got a good handle on all of these different areas because I've worked them, you know, and I think it, it's helped me a lot, um, as I've grown. So, yeah, so I did that with central scouting. Um, I learned a lot with Dave. He really, um, I mean, he still looks after me. Uh, we have a great relationship, um, treats me like one of his sons, and, and he's been a great mentor to me um, and helped me in so many ways and certainly giving me that opportunity and, and giving me the freedom to, uh, you know, grow and learn uh, in that process certainly wasn't valuable for me. No, definitely. And then, you know, after a, after a little bit of time at that position, uh, you transitioned to the national team development program as an assistant director, and you'd you know later move on to director of player personnel. Uh, talk about your entire experience with the program, including how you ended up in that role, and then talk about your tasks and duties, and ultimately how you grew. Yeah, I think uh, national program is really uh, when I felt like that I not had made it, but had established myself at a level. Um, that I could really make a real serious run at this. And now, I mean, if you think about that, I'm probably in when I went there, maybe in year four or five of this process, couldn't really uh, gain traction. Like I was really struggling to get a job and um, struggling to get people to buy what I was selling. And um, Guy at, at National Program uh, gave me an opportunity, uh, which you know, I'll be forever grateful for uh, to go there and be assistant director of player personnel. And, um, you know, in that process, you're kind of the second in command on the scouting and you're primarily responsible uh, for evaluating Bantams, but you get, um, you know, exposure to a lot of different things within the program. So I did that uh, for two years and then I um, got promoted to director of player personnel uh, with the uh, 2000 age group. And then with the 2001s, uh, the guy that I hired when I got promoted, um, Jeremiah Crow, I hired him as the assistant. Um, and then when he took over the 2001s, he let me stay on with him as kind of like an advisor or whatever for that year. So when I went to Boston, I, I got to stay and, and work with him again, uh, which was great. And obviously, he just got a, a big promotion there in Buffalo. So um, and, and that experience was great on so many levels. One from a understanding of evaluating elite players, it was probably the biggest one of, there's so much hype on these kids at 14, 15, 16 years old, and some of them make it, some of them don't. Uh, and then some players that are way off the radar at that time make it. Um, and some players that are in that next tier completely fall off. So there's so many variables at play. So I started uh, really analyzing players from a 360 degree perspective of um, uh, every part of their game, uh, like their bodies, their mindset, the family structure that they have, uh, so many different layers. I started to analyze and study, and then that started to become really the, uh, I guess, 
you know, the foundation of, of my scouting process. And then, so that was the biggest thing I learned there about player development and why some kids who quote unquote can't miss do and why some kids who aren't even close uh, at that time eventually make it. So we were able to come up with a lot of, um, you know, thought processes out, out of that. And, and we build a system. Um, and I would say with when I was uh, director of player personnel, I probably still, we, we probably the proudest thing I did there was build a staff. So we had some really good scouts there um, already. And then we let some guys go and, and I hired Jeremiah, who is the director of scouting now um, uh, for the Buffalo Sabres. I hired Steve Greeley, uh, who had been in the NHL before he, then he went to Boston University. And then when we hired him for that, he was working for the New York Rangers uh, as assistant director of player personnel and then eventually went to Buffalo. Uh, as assistant general manager, I hired John Rosso, who was scouting for Tampa Bay at the time. Now he's um, uh, assistant director of player personnel for Tampa Bay. Uh, Jamie Harrington, we hired him. He was uh, just working odd jobs similar to what I was doing before. Now he's working for the New York Rangers um, and on and on. And then we had some guys in the second group. Uh, Doug Lieberton is working for the Bruins now. Uh, Ricky Comley who's working for Arizona now um, on top of the guys that we already had. Um, and it was, it was awesome to uh, put together a staff of like-minded people who um, were aligned in how we viewed the players and, and were really hungry. And it was interesting. Jeremiah was always after us uh, to take a picture because we, we could feel like in the group that we were doing something different and that we had found something within this group of people um, that we thought was going to be really special. So it's been cool to see um, you know, as people have gone on now, I would say um, a mistake I made um, as director, which I think Jeremiah did a much better job of with the 2001 group. Uh, we still probably listened too much to, uh, we didn't, we created a process, a scouting process, but sometimes we deviated from it. Like there's some players that the hype was too big around them. We're like, we can't cut this guy. Like we'll take too much abuse in the public space. Um, and um you know, so we went through that process and, and that was really good. And now, you know, as I look back four or five, six years later, uh, a lesson learned, you know, of, okay, hey, the outside noise doesn't matter. Where this guy is perceived in the public space doesn't matter. What conventional wisdom? Conventional wisdom is usually wrong. So whatever conventional wisdom is, that doesn't matter. Just stick to the process. Be open-minded that the process isn't perfect and there's flaws and then you have to evaluate it and refine it. So uh, that's what we did there. Um, and like I said, national program, uh, it was, um, you know, Williams College gave me an opportunity to start a career in hockey in national program, like kind of cemented that I was going to make like a hockey my lifetime career. And um, I, I loved it. It was uh, a great time. I, you know, still have friendships with a lot of those guys that, that went through and it's so cool to watch them uh, have success and, um, and go and play now in the NHL. And uh, it was a, it was a great time in my life. Yeah. And, and you talk about the amount of people that went through the program, not only as players, obviously that went on for a success, but just the staff that you had and, you know, you, you named off a number of different people who work in the NHL. So it just shows, you know, the high quality uh, that was at that program, especially during that time. And, and it sounds like an amazing experience. And like you said, maybe we're, uh, you know, Williams College was your opportunity to get into coaching. That was really what pushed you into the next tier of maybe, okay, now it's not a hobby or something you do. 
outside of your regular work it's it's a career path and and obviously it's worked out um so you touched on it just a little bit but uh later you went on to join the boston bruins as an amateur scout uh how did you land that position i'm assuming it obviously came from a connection there and uh, talk about the opportunity of working for an original six nhl franchise yeah no it was um it was interesting how it worked out i was actually at uh i've been invited by uh Mike Donahue, Mark Kelly, and Rob Thacka uh, to Blackhawks development camp. Uh, so I, they just invited me as a guest to kind of sit and watch what they were doing, which I was, you know, so grateful for and really enjoyed it. And then kind of in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, I wonder, you know, if this is kind of like a quasi interview. So while I was there, I got an email uh, from Ryan Nato, uh, the Bruins, and he said, hey, uh, you got a couple minutes to talk. I assumed it was just about players from the national team that he wanted to pick my brain on. So I called him and he was like, hey, uh, Don Sweeney asked me to reach out to you. Uh, would you be interested in, in scouting for us? I was like, sure. Uh, so then he was like, all right, uh, Don, I'll call you. And, and Scott Bradley, uh, assistant general manager of the Bruins at that time, he's a senior advisor now. He was running the scouting department. So, And actually Keith Gretzky uh, was the director of amateur for like two days. And then he ended up leaving and going to Edmonton. Uh, so those guys all called me. Um, the process moved pretty quick. Uh, Donnie came in and met me um, uh, during the uh, World Junior Summer Showcase, and he offered me a job at breakfast, and, and I took it. And um, I thought it was something I had to do. Like, uh, um, you know, I felt like a national program. It was a great experience. Uh, I always look at any opportunity of uh, when I feel like it's complete is, did I accomplish what I set out to do? Or... Uh, have I reached a point within the organization that uh, I've accomplished all that they'll let me do, you know, or, or that I've reached my peak and what opportunity will exist here. And I, so I felt like, Hey, it was probably time for me to move on and, and try something new in the NHL. Uh, if I was going to go into scouting uh, or in this management path, uh, it was definitely something that I had to, to get to, you know, it was, uh, uh, I hate to say a box I had to check, but kind of in a way, and I'm from new England, uh, so like you said, an original six team, the Boston Bruins, uh, I was really excited uh, to go and, and do that. And uh, they gave me good opportunity right away. I, I was um, the only full-time U.S. guy uh, at that time. They ended up hiring another one, and now they have two. Uh, but um, uh, so I got to run pretty good that first year. And, uh, you know, it was different. I, I think uh, another opportunity for me to self-assess and uh, uh, like – I was so passionate about my players or passionate about um, the work that I put in that sometimes if I didn't get my way, uh, you know, my body language wasn't very good or, or um, you know, I was handling some things in an immature way. Um, and I was lucky to have good guys there like PJ Axelson, Jamie Langenbrunner, uh, Scott Bradley, I already talked about. Scott Bradley really, um, I felt like right from day one, uh, he kind of treated me like his own kid and he, um, you know, I think one of the things that's been really, really helpful for me in this process is when you find people that you could tell really believe in you. And, um, and Scott Bradley was one of those. So I had a good environment there. And those guys, Jamie Langenbrunner and PJ Asselson, who I certainly, you know, clearly respect, um, you know, were like, hey, like, doing a great job at this, 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 and this, you got to clean up this and this. And I was like, you know what, these guys are right. Like, I get it. And, um, so, you know, as I've kind of moved on from Boston and looked back um, on that, uh, it was an incredible experience. I loved it. Um, I learned a lot. It was great guys to work with. 
uh, and I was able to look at different areas that, hey, I need to be better here. I need to grow here. Um, so all around, it was, it was just a, a great experience. Yeah, and any opportunity you can get to learn and obviously working at the NHL level is something that doesn't come along every day. But like you said, just being able to learn from, you talk about Axel and Langenbrunner and all these people, obviously you've been around the game for so long and uh, being able to interact with him on a daily basis is definitely a great opportunity. Uh, people are always interested in hearing about the life of an NHL scout. Maybe walk us through a week in that position uh, during the middle of the season, say, and also talk about the different approach in scouting and evaluating at that level as compared to maybe the U.S. national program. Yeah, no, uh, in terms of like kind of a day in life. So uh, my second year in Boston, I ended up picking up the Western Hockey League too. So I had originally I had all the U.S. in international tournaments. Then I had all the U.S., the Western Hockey League and the international tournaments. So especially that second year, like in the U.S., um, during high school season, New England, uh, Minnesota, there are midweek games, but generally the USHL and college is weekend. Um, and then, you know, the Western League throwing that variable in, uh, it adds more midweek games. So uh, I was grinding uh, from pretty much September through May. Um, and then there's still things to do, you know, June, July, August, certainly with meetings, with the draft, with USA Hockey Festivals, Hockey Canada, um, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, really, I mean, the crux of it is from September, say Labor Day to Memorial Day, say, is, is where you really grind. And uh, it's a lot of travel, um, a lot of hotels. It's, uh, I, I loved it. You know, it's uh, definitely... Um, you give up a lot in terms of uh, uh, just so much time on the road, right? So for guys with families, it's very difficult. Um, and it's, uh, you know, some of the rinks, like I remember I was in one rink in Wisconsin watching a kid and it was freezing cold. Like it was the middle of January. I would go out to my car and warm up in between periods because it was that freezing in the rink, you know. So it's not always as like pro scouting is nice. You get to go in NHL buildings and sit up there and, and your perch and it's pretty climate controlled. It's nice in there, but some of these amateur buildings, yeah, uh, you know, or whatever they are, little old barns. And uh, and then you know the travel is tough. Sometimes you're driving through blizzards and storms and and all that, but it's. Um, it's great. Like I love uh, trying to identify players. I love trying to find players that everyone says are great and try to find the reasons why, you know, they aren't great or won't be successful. Uh, just the whole hunt of it all. Um, I loved it. So it's a grind. It's a lot of planes, trains and automobiles, as they say, and um, uh, a lot of nights in a hotel, um, but it's the NHL. So you get to stay in pretty good hotels, which is, you know, it's different uh, for guys that are, or, or women that are grinding in junior, you know, uh, I remember one night when I was working with the national team, stayed in a La Quinta Inn and uh, I woke up in the morning. I had one of those days at a tournament that was like, first game was 8 a.m. Last game started at nine. You know, you were in for the, for the 13 hour day. And uh, I woke up in the shower, only had cold water. And I was like, oh, kidding me, you know? So that's how my day started in the dead of winter. So NHL certainly uh, having to not uh, experience those things. Uh, there are some perks, uh, but it definitely is um, a grind. And then, you know, at the end of every game, you're writing your reports. Most teams use RinkNet. Uh, scouting database so you're doing that and managing your list so uh, you know those are the most important things get your game reports in manage your list uh, but certainly the travel is extensive and um, uh, there's a lot of great parts to it uh, but certainly some challenges too yeah with scouting at any level there's always a sacrifice of time obviously but 
you know, that, that's what you sign up for and, and people appreciate it as, as for what it is. And, and you know, you're, st- you're still getting to go and view the rinks. But as you said, you know, you get those, those few rinks where, you know, you, you're in there for 20 minutes and you, you want to be anywhere but there because, you know, it's so cold or whatever. So you always have to deal with that aspect. Uh, today you hold a great position in the USHL as a general manager of the Chicago Steel. What was the process for gaining that position? And talk about the transition moving back into junior hockey while also learning to run a program. Yeah, uh, Larry Robbins, uh, who's the owner of the Chicago Steel, uh, he and I have known each other, I don't know, six or seven years. Um, so I'd always, you know, talk to him. Uh, and then there's uh, three guys, uh, Vinny Smith, Mark Latito, and Jamie Cahill, who are involved with the North Jersey Avalanche program. They really run their midget program. Um, so I had had a friendship with them and they've been involved with the steel uh, since Larry bought the team. So I was always, you know, kind of interested in what they were doing. I knew that Larry uh, was a really generous guy uh, who was willing to pump some money uh, into his hockey team. And, and he and I had some really good hockey talks just at different uh, spots. And so um, when he first bought the team, I hired Dan Muse. Uh, again, those things always kind of come back full circle, but hired Dan Muse as his coach. Uh, and then Dan left after two years and went to work for Nashville. Um, and then that year uh, after Dan left, um, there ended up being, I think, three different coaches uh, between by the time I finally hired the guy I hired. So in a calendar year from Dan to Greg Moore, uh, four guys had served as head coach of the Steel. Uh, so it was uh, not in a great place um, in a lot of ways, but it was had a lot of really good parts. Um, so he called me in like December of that season uh, when he made his first coaching change. And uh, I was like, no, I'm not interested. Like really in the USHL, the head coach, usually the head coach is the general manager too. And those guys are the final arbiter of decisions. There's not many spots in the USHL I don't know if there's even another one where the general manager oversees the program and hires everybody and makes the decisions or, or is the final arbiter of the decisions, I should say. Um, so I, at first I was like, no, nah, I, I don't see it. Um, and then he brought in Daryl Belfry and Adam Nicholas uh, at that time. And uh, they came with a lot of great ideas, but again, it wasn't a good marriage of all the people uh, by no fault of, of anybody. It just, it didn't work. It didn't fit at that time. So he came back to me uh, in April and he was like, all right, here's what I want to do. Will you do this? And then I was like, no. And then he came back again and eventually it got to a point where I couldn't say no anymore. So I said, okay. And, uh, it was scary. Like we didn't have a lot of returning players. Um, we had a lot of draft picks, but, but we ran our draft. Uh, like I went there on like 48 hours notice and ran a draft knowing none of the players. So we were just making it up on the fly. And, uh, uh, if you look back on that draft, uh, I don't know, what, whatever year we drafted Owen Power, like if you look now at those players in those two days on 48 hours notice, it was an incredible draft. And we just lucked into it. Like I was calling my buddies. I was like, you know, a guy, they're like, yeah, this guy. I was like, tell me about him. I was like, all right, yeah, that sounds good. Like that's my kind of guy. And it, it was lucky. It was guys I trusted. I knew that they were going to give me honest information. And, and we ran through that. And then uh, – we made a couple of trades that summer, uh, like we traded one player for like five players. And thank goodness that we did that. We did that twice. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't really have been able to feel the complete team. So we lucked into a couple of things like that. Um, and, uh, and then we just started gaining momentum. And we felt like, you know, hire a staff, got some guys. And it was hard. Like right now, it's really easy to hire here. 
And at that time, I felt like I was selling my soul. You know, I was like, hey, this is this. And guys are like, hey, uh, like the only reason I'm doing this is because I, I know that you're a little different and I want to be a little different and like I'll roll the dice with you. So I was like, oh, man. And, and when guys are doing that with families, you're even more scared. You're like, all right, hey, I'm taking a lot of responsibility on here with this guy. He's got two little kids. Like this has to work, you know, and um, uh, so we went through that. We put our staff together. I had a vision for really, you know, it went back to those days in Springfield, you know, of like, hey, uh, we can tie player development to scouting, to coaching. And then as I'd gone through level to level, it always just kept coming back to me. I said, like, this is so inefficient. There's such a better way to do this. Why, 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 you know? And then I was like, okay, I got opportunity here. And um, so that's what we've done. We tied scouting to player development to coaching and created this environment here uh that really I, there's probably nothing else like it you know and it's been um we've had a lot of success certainly it was disappointing this year that our season uh you know came to an end abruptly when we were so far ahead uh, but even reflecting back on this season you know we might sneak two guys here in the first round uh this draft um we'll have a lot of draft picks next year we'll have even more draft picks even more high-end players uh, Owen Power, I think when it's all said and done, I think he'll push for number one. And um, in the middle of all this, you know, we had our coach left. Uh, so it was just uh, an extraordinary uh, season in so many ways. It's been um, an incredible journey through Chicago. And then I think I used, uh, like even going back to the NTDP, talking about that scouting staff, I learned a very good lesson there that just bring the best people together that you can be. And a lot of those people, whether it's Jeremiah Crow, Jamie Harrington, and guys like that, they weren't in the NHL. They were just starting out. They just had a, a mentality and a mindset. Uh, so I, you know, have used that to, I'm not overly concerned with a resume when I hire, you know, uh, I just uh, am looking for ideas and looking for people that want to collaborate and want to be a part of something, uh, you know, in a, as cliche, it sounds bigger than, than themselves. And uh, if they do that and they're successful, then opportunity will come from them. Um, on the backside. So this Chicago thing has really been a culmination of a lot of years and a lot of ideas. And luckily we just got all these people here and um, it's been, uh, it's been awesome. It sounds like a great opportunity. And I like that approach, you know, hire people for, for what you see in them and maybe not always just what's on their resume or, you know, really get to know them before making that decision. Uh, one listener wants to know when you're in a situation where you possess an elite player, such as Owen Power, which you've touched on, uh, who's eligible eligible for the 2021 NHL draft. Uh, does that affect your approach as a general manager, maybe while he's on the team? No. Uh, I think one of the great things about Owen Power is the first talented of a kid he is, he's selfless and he's humble and he wants to get better and he wants to learn. So, uh, like, there was never a time uh, where we feel like we have to, you know, sacrifice our principles to make a better environment for Owen Power uh, or players like that. It was just, hey, we, what we, like, we played, uh, I don't know, 49 games, I think it was. Um, if you look at our lineup, it's very rare that we put our lineup in a way of, uh, like, putting our very best players at that time together for the sole purpose of winning the game. We're always mixing up our lines. A guy might play first line right wing and the next night play fourth line center. Um, you know, and, and so it's about developing every single player. And there's a part of, uh, for an elite player like Owen Power, there is, in my opinion, uh, value from a developmental standpoint to not have everything given to you. To say, hey, like, all right, you're going to worry about your teammates uh, and their development too until game 45 or 50. 
And then when we have 10, 15 games left, we're going to turn for home and your ice time will go from 20 minutes to 26 minutes or whatever the case may be. And you're going to help us win the championship. But for 80% of the season as in junior hockey, like every player here has a dream. Uh, this isn't just about, uh, you know, one player and, and certainly not insinuating that Owen, you know, he's the most humble kid. He's, the most remarkable player from a talent mindset attitude perspective that I've ever been around. Uh, and, and that's, I mean, been around a lot of good players at some of these stops. So, um, and, and that's how all of our guys do it. And they know, Hey, I'll come in my first year on the team. And uh, some of the veteran guys are going to have to sacrifice some things to make sure that I get ice time. And then when I'm in my second year, I'm going to make those same sacrifices for the next group of young guys. And I think to build something sustainable, uh, you need that. Otherwise, it becomes really, really hard uh, to to do this with so much turnover in our league as guys go to college um, to do it any other way. Yeah, I, I agree with that point. And I think it speaks to the, the caliber of the players, you know, having that selflessness and Owen Power obviously being a, a you know, a, a top prospect in that age group. Uh, you know, the fact that he's willing to, you know, trust the coaching staff and trust the management to, uh, you know, to have a blueprint in place in a way to do things. I think that's a great approach. Uh, so as we did with the scouting role, people are always uh, interested in general manager roles as well. And maybe that's something that you get to hear even less about. Uh, talk, uh, walk us through a typical week as a general manager in USHL. And again, maybe mid-season or even uh, going into a season. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things uh, from a general manager's perspective, which is different than a scout's perspective, is the scope of things that you have to be accountable to is so much wider. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I wear a lot of hats within the organization. Uh, some days, you know, certainly scouting is an important part to make sure that uh, this cupboard is always full. At the end of the day, we can have all the great ideas we have if we are not finding talented players to continue to, as we say, you know, plug them into the machine. Uh, it doesn't work. You know, you, you, we're not going to, have this great development environment, but then put bad players in it and magically, you know, sprinkle some fairy dust on them and have them become elite players. They would just go from bad to like kind of average. Uh, so the scouting is, is a huge part. Um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with the coaching staff, uh, again, not telling them what to do. I, I give them a lot of autonomy. If there's something I don't like uh, that they're doing or an area of our game that I don't uh, think is to the standard that it should be, uh, you know, I'll communicate that to them, but I never tell them this is how I want it done. I say, you guys are smart guys. Like this isn't good enough to the standard that we're holding ourselves. Uh, but you guys figure out, you know, what, what it is you want to do or how we can do better. And, and then they do. And um, it, it always ends up successful. Cause like I said, between Daryl and Adam and, and our coaches, uh, we have a lot of uh, really intelligent people that look at hockey in a different way and, and are able to collaborate like that. So spent a lot of time with the coaches. I spent a lot of time with the players. Um, our model is a little different where oftentimes in junior hockey, the head coach is kind of the overseer and then the assistant coaches, you know, become friendly with the players and, you know, kind of steal information from them and, and use it to manipulate them in a way. Uh, I, for us, we always, because there's so many variables uh, within our development model uh, and so many voices that uh, speak and give ideas, it would be very difficult for us to, if we had to make a coaching change or a coach left as Greg Morgan going to the Marlies this year, uh, it'd be very difficult to pull someone from the outside 
who is going to have their own ideas and not be 100% aligned uh, with what we're doing uh, to try to make that work. So I think it's important that uh, we're hiring from within uh, pretty much exclusively. Um, and then people can come in, start as an assistant coach, start in scouting, start in player development, and then grow into another role because they completely understand what we're doing. So as part of that, I think it would be doing an assistant coach a disservice if he had to be that buddy, buddy guy, uh, because then when he becomes head coach, then all of a sudden he's got to become a different guy than those kids know him as, you know, and, and that creates a, a tough variable. So I pretty much, uh, like if we have a disciplinary issue or uh, even like uh, we have a pretty open door policy so the kids can come to us with anything um, and we want to help them, you know, we're not here to punish them. So they come to me, I'm not dictating their ice time. I'll never tell the coach, hey, this guy's not playing or this guy's doing this, like that's their uh, area. I mean, give my opinion. Uh, but at the end of the day, they can come to me and we can work through those challenges together and I'll bring the coaches in the tent and, and let them know what's going on. But it's not something that, uh, you know, anyone has to feel uh, like they're in a tough spot as a result of. So I spend a lot of time with the players. Uh, that probably is unique to Chicago. I don't think that's really a common thing uh, with managers. Usually a lot of guys don't like to know the players at all because when they trade them, then it makes it easier uh, emotionally. Uh, and that's definitely the hardest part of the job, you know, is trading and cutting guys. Everyone is wants to be on the team and, and is trying their best. So that's difficult. But yeah, every week is, is different. Um, sometimes there's meetings, sometimes there's, it's very scheduled out. Sometimes it's wide open. I, I can do whatever I want. And then, you know, there's different times of the year where in the beginning of the year, I spent a lot of time with the team because uh, I want to make sure that the team, everyone is working in harmony with the players and the coaches. And if there's issues that we can deal with them and address them, I've got to have my finger on that pulse. And then once that starts rolling or, you know, gets going downhill in the right direction, I can segue more to the scouting and, and make sure that, uh, I'm putting in a lot of time there and then, you know, a trade deadline comes up. We approach that uh, in a certain way. And, uh, and then the draft is a different time. And then usually in the summer, you know, there's a lot of things to do in terms of uh, uh, tournaments and, and events to scout this summer, obviously is different, but uh, and that's what I like about the job. Like I get to do a lot of different things, but every day is different. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, that's kind of, kind of how it works, but it's, um, you know, and I think the one different part of being a scout or being a manager is uh, when you're scout and you watch your games and, and you go to sleep at night, your reports are done and everything. In this role, uh, the job's never done. You know, you're kind of on call 24 hours and, and anything could pop up at any time. So you just have to be prepared and be engaged. And like I said, have your finger on the pulse of, of all these different uh, items. I think that's a great point saying, you know, there's so many different aspects of the job and I've had, uh, I've spoke with some different managers and then they'll have someone here on the future, but they always talk, you know, like you, you go into the office on one day, you really don't know what's, what's going to come up. And a lot of times you're dealing with the players and a junior A, you know, or, or USHL or CHL, you know, these guys are going through a certain period of time in their life and there's so many different factors that they're going through. So just being there for them. And then obviously you have the scouting and the management, uh, responsibilities with coaching staff and and whatnot there's so many different parts uh you touched on maybe how this summer is a little bit different and while we face a pandemic uh, many are still taking the opportunity to learn some new things and some are taking the opportunity to give back where possible uh touch on some of the things you've been doing including including the career in hockey webinar and the chicago steel fan series yeah uh we um have probably tried to do a, a little bit of all of that uh Definitely with the two you mentioned, the careers in hockey Zoom uh, that we did 
uh, with, uh, you know, six or seven other people um, that are more successful than me. Uh, it, that was really good. Like it just came about where I don't even know how, how it, oh, it started. Somebody was tweeting something about careers in hockey. It's probably how this thing came up for you. Uh, just kind of an idea that happened. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll put one of these panels together if people want. And then a lot of people on Twitter were like, yeah, I'll watch that. I'll watch that. So then, you know, I called up like six or seven people within two hours. I was like, all right, here's our panel. Uh, you know, we'll do this next week. Uh, and that's been really well received. I get a couple thousand views. And then I get messages on that a couple times a week of people that uh, appreciated the content and, and how open. Uh, you know, everybody was on the call. And I think one of the nice things uh, with that group um, was that um, was that everyone, uh, you know, came from a different path and, and had a little bit of a different perspective and was working in hockey in a little different way. Some guys with more of an analytics concentration, some coaches, some scouts, and then Craig, uh, you know, who's worn every hat and, and Pat, uh, you know, who obviously is uh, at the pinnacle of his field. So uh, that was a great group and, and that was a lot of fun. Hopefully that's something that uh, people can watch for a long time and, and be able to pull information from. And then um, and then uh, the Fan Connection Series is something our team president, Dan Lev, came up with, uh, with ways to connect with the fans. Yeah, it's a very creative <laughs> that he came up with. But uh, yeah, so he, he came up with that. And then I had been working with USA Hockey on uh, trying to do something with them too in terms of, youth player development and allow us to highlight areas that in Chicago, I think sometimes with, uh, you know, the American development model and some of these things that Hockey Canada is trying to do, people look at it and say, oh, this is just for little kids, you know, and they look at cross-ice mites and, and that's where all their focus lies. Um, so we wanted to do something with them that showed it was, uh, you know, more expansive than that. And then Dan had come up with a couple other things he wanted me to do uh, on scouting and, and, um, and uh, you know how we build our team. So he put that together. Uh, I was really good. I, I think he it was a successful endeavor for him, and, and it was good for our team to be able to share that information, uh, you know, in a hockey way, but also across a lot of different, uh, you know, covered a lot of different areas, uh, which was good. And then we've uh, had uh, been fortunate by virtue of the way that the kids uh, have performed that we've had a lot of uh, media, you know, that's that's come on and and. Uh, I was pretty active on Twitter early in the pandemic, especially. And, um, you know, so a lot of things branched out out of that and we're able to uh, give some money away and get involved in a few different uh, items. So, uh, you know, that's been worthwhile. And then for us, we started uh, our staff, our hockey staff, uh, watching those NHL CA webinars in the beginning. And then we were like, hey, you know, uh, it's good information, but no one's giving away, you know, real trade secrets. So we started... Uh, We'd have, we'd have two a day. Uh, we'd just reach out to people in hockey and say, hey, you want to come on a, a Zoom with us? And we probably did this for, I don't know, eight weeks, a couple people every day uh, from all around hockey, whether it was former managers, coaches, uh, sport performance people, NHL players. Uh, we ran the full gamut, and uh, we gained a lot of information uh, through that process and, and were able to, you know, uh, I guess take some things that can help us evolve in what we're doing. So, uh, it's been unfortunate. I wish we were playing hockey. I wish uh, hockey never ended. Uh, but we've been fortunate within our group to uh, use this time in a way that's been productive. And um, I think we all grew a lot. And uh, hopefully when we get back playing hockey, we can put some of those things to the test. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And, you know, everybody wishes that obviously hockey is still going on and that we weren't dealing with the situation we are. But I think it just goes to show how many opportunities are out there if you're willing to look for them. And 
and obviously uh, the ones you guys put off were, were two good events and I was uh, fortunate enough to kind of be able to reference both of them but for those who haven't checked it out it's definitely something to look into and uh, maybe a good opportunity to learn something either as someone in hockey operations or simply as a fan. Uh, throughout the conversation today you mentioned a number of individuals that helped you and that you've interacted with along the way. Uh, who are some of the key mentors who helped you get in your position and what are some of the major lessons that you learned from them and through your career as a whole? Yeah, I would say uh, my biggest mentor, definitely Dave Gregory. He was the guy that first put this in my year uh, that I could work in hockey. And, and when in the beginning as I was you know, struggling to gain traction, which I think uh, a lot of people do, right? If you didn't play in the NHL uh, or didn't you know, have high level connections, uh, it's very hard uh, to, to get in this business and to build something sustainable. And I think you need people like Dave that believe in you and, you know, want to help you in any way they can. And I'm sure there's a lot of times uh, where, whether it was Springfield or something that didn't go uh, as well as, as I'd hoped that uh, those calls for him weren't as easy to make, but he never, anytime I asked him to call someone on my behalf, he always did it and he's always, you know, championed me and, and I really appreciated that. And then really at every place I, I've been, uh, and I could rattle off every name. I mean, Bill Kangas, Sean Hanna and CJ Maritolo at Sacred Heart. Um, you know, a lot of guys in the national program, definitely Don Granado, uh, probably as I moved on, Granado, he taught me to look at hockey um, in a very different way. Uh, and he's, you know, one of these guys that believes that you can teach offense and there's a lot of people in hockey who believe you can teach offense. Um, so Don Granado, uh, probably, you know, in the same breath as Dave Gregory, um, you know, so important to me um, as a mentor and, and supporting. And now, um, as I've moved on and, and climbed this mountain, uh, it ends up being a lot of my peers now that I bounce ideas off of and we're kind of coming up together and, and you know, sharing ideas with each other. And, uh, you know, I've been able to, I have some mentors that, uh, are older that I can call on and, and ask their opinion. Um, and then I have, you know, a handful of friends that I feel that, yeah, we're competing against each other in a way, but uh, not really. You know, I think that we all have this dream that at some point in some organization, we'll all be there together. Um, but now it's, it's a lot of uh, my peers and peer to peer learning and having uh, men or women that are really passionate about this challenge me and, and I'll challenge them and we'll have, uh, you know, discussions and, and growing that way. So, um, you know, definitely mentorship early, definitely still use a lot of those mentors that, that look after me. Um, and then in Boston, Scott Bradley, who I mentioned a couple times, um, you know, really took me under his wing and, and forever grateful uh, to that. And then, uh, and our, our owner here in Chicago, Larry Robbins, uh, he's been very successful uh, hedge fund manager and, and running a firm there. So, uh, he has experiences in the world that I'll never have. Uh, and he's a great guy to be able to lean on uh, for different items, uh, oftentimes that aren't hockey related, uh, because he, uh, you know, when you have a couple billion dollars, you see the world through a different lens than, than I would. Um, and um, it's invaluable uh, experience to pick his brain. So I've been able to have some really good uh, older people looking after me and come up with some of my buddies. Uh, that's been really valuable and challenge each other. Um, and then the lessons I learned, I, I mean, I tried to uh, be as open as I could, you know, these things. I think it's really important um, for anybody starting in this business. Uh, hockey doesn't owe any of us anything. Um, so I think that some people, uh, you know, look at it and want to be, 
handed something. Uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, it, you, you have to work for everything. You have to get an opportunity. You quite frankly have to have some luck. Like there's definitely things that broke my way at a time that they broke my way that I never uh, could have forecasted. And then there's a lot of times that I thought I was deserving of something and didn't get it. So you have to be able to handle rejection. Um, you know, I think it's a lot of, uh, I was very close at one point uh, to giving up and, and to, uh, you know, going to get a quote unquote real job. And I said, all right, Hey, I'm going to just stick this out a little bit longer. And, you know, thank God I did because it, it allowed me to climb to this level and, and hopefully beyond. And um, uh, so I would say that, and then I would say uh, you have to be really honest with yourself uh, with areas that you're not good at or need to grow in, or, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's easy to say, to throw grenades, you know, when you're from the outside, say, oh, this guy stinks at this, this guy's no good at this, but there's a lot more that goes into all these things. And I think just, uh, being willing to work through adversity and know that, Hey, there's a lot of people that are not going to believe in you. Uh, and that's okay. I, you know, I have a lot of people that, uh, say really nice things to me now, but seven years ago, you know, said I was an idiot, uh, you know, and I'm not much different. So I think people have to have thick skin in this process and, um, know that you're going to be told no a lot more often than you're going to be told yes. And when you're told yes, just do the very best job that you can be. And, uh, and, um, you know, just keep pushing through. I think it goes to show just as, you know, how you, when you put together a team, you, you build this atmosphere for the players to succeed. You also need that in your own life. You know, you need those people around you who you can bounce ideas off of and who can uh, help push you. And even if it's people that are around you, that, like you said, you're competing for the same jobs in a sense, you know, even just having those ideas flowing between that group and then uh, seeing what they're doing, it obviously motivates you to go forward. So it's great to hear that you had different mentors and, obviously learned a lot of lessons along the way. I guess the final question I have for you uh, is uh, for anybody that's looking to, you know, maybe work with the national program or, or go as an amateur scout or one day be a general manager like you are today, uh, what advice would you have for someone who's looking to one day progress to such a position? Uh, I think it's uh, just take your formative years as you're starting out and just try to Gain as much information as you can. I think the biggest thing is you have to be different. You, you know, it's funny. When I first started, I'd look at everyone in the NHL uh, or that played in the NHL and be like, oh, it's so easy. If you played in the NHL, then these guys all get these jobs and blah, blah, blah. But then you go through. A lot of people have played in the NHL and are not very good at these jobs. They were great NHL players, but then, you know, this isn't for them for, for a multitude of reasons. So I think that uh, you know, you have to be able to say, all right, some of these things are just excuses, you know, or I'm just justifying uh, that I can't do this because I, I need an excuse. Um, and I think that, you know, when you can kind of eliminate those and then you really need to really honestly self-assess and have people willing to tell you that you're not doing something right and don't take it to heart. And sometimes I do. I mean, I'm generally a pretty sensitive guy in that way of like every every slight I ever think anyone's ever thrown at me, I never forgot, you know, uh, but when people are, you know, they genuinely have their, that you're gen, excuse me, they genuinely have your best interest in their heart. Uh, listen to what they have to say because they're trying to help you. And, um, uh, and then as you climb the mountain, I think, you know, like I said about NHL players, if all things are equal and you're equal to a guy that played or a person with a lot of experience, a person with a lot of experience more often than not is going to get the job. 
so you have to find a way to be different and to be better and to uh, you know, uh, for me, uh, where I'm at right now, which is in a pretty good position, uh, both in the role that I have, and then also, um, you know, I guess my brand or, or however you want to term it, uh, in this hockey space is, uh, in a good spot. Uh, but I think that happened by, uh, going out on a whim. Like I was really active on Twitter in a time where no one in my position would ever, uh, you know, say the things or, or go to the areas in debate uh, that I'll go. And, and definitely I'm probably at a point now where uh, that's closing in on a point of diminishing returns uh, where I now probably have to step back and say, okay, I can't fight people on Twitter, you know, but uh, in terms of growing the brand of our team and, and my own brand and the brand of our players, uh, it's been very uh, worthwhile exercise. And I think it's one of those things that, uh, whether it's that or doing something different in player development or something different in scouting. Uh, when you want to do something different, a lot of people are going to tell you all the reasons why you can't do something different because everyone has to follow these norms to get this path. But if you come from nothing like I did, uh, you have to be different. You don't have a choice. Otherwise, you'll never, you'll, I mean, you can get opportunities somehow, some way by, by sucking up and, uh, you know, telling people how good they are and then just, staying in the middle to preserve your job but you're never going to accomplish anything great so i think if if you want to accomplish something and be unique and, and leave your mark you got to innovate you got to be able to uh, take some punches and you're going to get knocked down a lot uh, but if you can push through um you know i'm not uh an extremely intelligent person there's nothing about me that uh is in any way better than anyone else i just uh, am able to acknowledge my mistakes and, and try to be better and try to get better every day. And I love hockey. Um, and I think that I've been able to be fortunate uh, because of those things, but there's nothing extraordinary about me. I'm just like, and that's why I, you know, quite frankly, I spend a lot of time on Twitter or uh, pick up the phone when young people call me because I just see myself in them. Um, and, um, you know, I think we all have the similar dream uh and people can accomplish it uh just being different and being authentic to who they are and, and just trying to find the best version of themselves that they can as a person and, and as a hockey person yeah i think that's a tremendous amount of uh advice in that in that blurb there and i think it's a great way to end it off uh ryan i just want to thank you for taking some time to come on the podcast today uh you know you had a great uh a very interesting ladder coming up through hockey and to your position today so i think people are going to be really interested in hearing all about that so Thanks again for coming on the podcast, and I wish you uh, the best of luck on and off the ice moving forward. Thanks, Ryan. Same to you. Thanks for uh, putting this together, and I was glad to uh, be able to come on. Hopefully, we can help some people. Yeah, for sure. All right, take care. You. I'd like to thank Ryan for coming on the podcast and sharing a story of how he progressed to the general manager role he holds today. Working his way through the system, which included stops in the NHL and the National Development Program, Ryan is someone who shows the direct correlation between hard work and results, while also showing his personal side throughout. All in all, his story is interesting and informative, and I think there are things that all of us can learn by listening. If you would like to get in touch with Ryan to discuss his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact Podcast at Outlook.com, and I can look to make the connection for you. Next on the podcast, we have Ian Henderson, general manager of the Nepean Raiders. Ian is another person who demonstrates a key amount of hockey sense in a manager role, and through his thoughts and his story, I think there's an opportunity to learn from there as well, so stay tuned for that release. As always, I'd like to thank everyone for the support, 
and for continually engaging with the podcast through social media. Finally, I simply want to say thank you for listening, stay safe, and all the best.